Welcome to Risk Roundup. The threat posed by cyber crimes is getting bigger than ever and it is growing exponentially. When the most successful criminals are those that can hide behind the anonymity that the cyberspace offers and people are more likely to be victimized in cyberspace than in geospace, it is a cause of great concern to each one of us. Today, cybercrime has now surpassed illegal drug trafficking as a criminal moneymaker. With uncountable annual cyber attacks, cybercrime is a real threat to anyone using computers or smartphones or tablets, Internet of Things, and any other gadgets that are connected to the Internet. Every single day, either somebody's identity is stolen or someone's confidential data is stolen. And the victim count to financial loss because of cybercrime keeps growing and growing. How does this impact us individually and collectively? To discuss the impact of cyber crimes, I'm delighted to welcome Gary Berman to Risk Roundup. Gary is the founder of Cyberman Security and is based in United States. Welcome, Gary. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you. I'm Thank delighted, you. To, delighted be to be here. Wonderful. So, Gary, the rapidly evolving cyber crimes shows great vulnerability of cyberspace and the digital global age. Keeping up with the growing complexity of the nature of cyber crimes is a challenge facing everyone, individuals, as well as entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia. What is the status of cyber crimes as you see from your perspective? My perspective is a little bit different than most cyber experts. My expertise comes from being a victim. And the story uh, that I'll be sharing you through our time together today is, is quite unbelievable, literally, um, that uh, we were victims of a persistent series of cyber crimes over a period of 15 years. And um, beginning um, about a year ago, I decided to do a deep dive uh, to uh, address your question. You know, what are the social, economic, and political effects of the increasing dangers of, of cyber crime globally. And I have several conclusions that, um, that I've come up with, just as I said, from the perspective of a victim. One is it's not a question of if you or your organization or even your family are going to be hacked. It's just a question of when. Um, this, the second thing that really I think was quite uh, startling to me is uh, cybersecurity as an ecosystem is incredibly complex, much too complex for a regular person to try to understand. And if you're the owner of um, you know, a small and medium business, um, it's, it's really incredibly difficult to wrap your mind around the complexity of the cybersecurity ecosystem and, and how to defend yourself. And then the third big conclusion that um, I can speak with um, unfortunate credibility, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the majority of uh, cybercrime actually is because of human error. And you can have, you know, outstanding software, outstanding hardware, you know, uh, great chief uh, information security officers, but all it takes is a person at an endpoint, someone at a computer uh, or on their smartphone to just uh, make the whole system vulnerable and really come crashing down. And, and I, I think the last thing I would say about the, com the complexity of cybersecurity is that the lines between work and home have been erased. 
And so if you make a mistake at work, that puts your family at risk. If you make a, fa a mistake at home on your cell phone, that puts your work at risk. So this blurring of the lines is something that uh, I'm spending a lot of time working on. No, you're absolutely right. All the points that you made are excellent. Like, first is it's not like if you are going to be hacked. It's, it's just a matter of time when you will be hacked. And the second point is that the, this is very, very complex. And, uh, you know, the complexity is so huge and so enormous that our understanding and education and awareness is not there for everyone. And like, and the third line that you said about blurring boundaries, uh, whether you, if you make a mistake at home, you know, it may impact your work. If you make a mistake at work, your home, you know, will be vulnerable because of the interconnections and uh, interdependencies and interconnectivity. So that is also another huge problem that if one organization or one individual does everything right to secure or to protect their, you know, cyberspace or, you know, all their uh, uh, ventures on the cyberspace or in the, anything that they're using or phone or uh, iPad or uh, computers, if they are secured, but if the others that are in their network, irrespective of whether it's work or anywhere else, if they are not secure, then you bring that vulnerability to yourself. So there are a lot of complex challenges. And as cyber criminals are technologically more experienced and educated, they take advantage of individuals and, and also the organizations that are not cyber literate by using that cyber knowledge to trick all those you know, cyber illiterate, irrespective of you know, nations or irrespective of the industry into giving their vital information such as their bank account information or social security number so this cyber education challenge that brings great vulnerability to each and every nation each and every individual and organization is a very complex challenge yes and uh it's true everything that you said and What's, what's interesting about it, though, to me and for our experience, when I was trying to decide, well, how do we take uh, what happened to us and turn it into something good for the larger world? Um, you know, wh where do you start uh, because of the complexity? And so we decided, uh, which I'm sure, you know, we'll discuss a little bit, to, to create a comic book series, uh, you know, The Adventures of Cyberman, you know, from victim to advocate. Um, on the idea that if we could distill incredibly complex cybersecurity information down to something that a lot of people love around the world, which are superheroes uh, in comics, and make it entertaining and fun and engaging, then they're more likely to remember what it is that they just read and saw. And, and that's, that's very, sorry to interrupt, but that's a, such an excellent initiative because this education, the comic books that you are creating is an education medium and it has to start right from the childhood. All the kids love to you know, read comic books. So if you are able to put together this whole security format education in a comic book you know, format, it, it will help kids you know, right from the beginning, right from childhood to learn, to get educated. So I, I really like that idea of yours. Thank you. And we've, we've really been blessed um, because starting only about 30 days ago, one person at a time with my little thumbs, you know, on my, on my smartphone, I went to LinkedIn and I did some searches using uh, chief information security officer, you know, IT, uh, senior level executives. 
And I started inviting them to take a look at something that I, uh, I had posted, which is a picture of the comic. And then I asked the LinkedIn world to please just send me stories about victims and answer three questions. What happened? What were the consequences? And what were the lessons learned? And we're going to take those real life stories from around the world and make comic book instructional tools, you know, based out of them. So let me ask you a, a, a little quiz here, if you don't mind. So I started only 30 days ago with these two little thumbs, one person at a time, inviting the most senior people around the world in technology. Take a guess how many people have said yes to connect with me in 30 days. Oh, I'm sure it would be thousands. 10,670 people. I'm not surprised. And Believe me, when there is the right initiative, when there is the right message, and when there is the right passion to do something for the greater good of the humanity, connections and you know support will never be a problem. So I'm not surprised. Congratulations on that. That's an excellent idea to invite all those real life stories because it's learning from those real life stories that we'll be able to put together the right proactive approach as well as the reactive approach what measures needs to be taken you know before we get hacked and what measures need to be taken you know after we get hacked so that is an excellent initiative and believe me this will keep growing and growing because everyone wants to help you know in the right initiative when i launched the risk round of this series let me tell you when i had only 10000 followers that time and a lot of them were my connections as soon as we launched risk roundup and with the right message and what we are trying to do to create education and to raise awareness to everyone across nations all the decision makers from the highest level to you know from industries from government from organizations everywhere we are getting amazing support each and we are getting following from each and every nations you would be surprised from middle east from africa from europe asia there isn't a nation where we don't have following so what you are saying is absolutely right that when you have the right message and when you are trying to do something for the greater good of the humanity getting support is not a problem and you will keep getting more and more support so well, i really appreciate you you saying that and to, to me, what, what was also incredible about that is it was very reaffirming, you know, because having gone through the experience that we did, you know, and, and we lost, you know, several million dollars, um, you know, to, to know that there are all these wonderful people, you know, around the world who want to do the right thing, who want to be helpful, is an extremely uplifting thing. And it's fuel, you know, it's why, uh, you know, oftentimes I start working at four o'clock in the morning, you know, because um, at last, uh, you know, I, I have a mission um, that is going to uh, bring some justice, you know, to the world. And um, the people that responded, it was it was amazing to me. I mean, so, you know, you had uh, all types of law enforcement people and senior people, like the director of the FBI, you know, the director of Homeland Security, um, cybersecurity czar of the White House, um, the uh, head of the Secret Service. I mean, the most senior people, you know, and they've all agreed, you know, to, to try to help and to spread the word. So I feel so privileged to to be surrounded community of, of good people, you know, and, yes. and, it, and it's made me, it's refueled my optimism.
absolutely there are a lot of good people out there in each and every nation and your your support will keep rising would you like to share your story of what happened you know you just mentioned that you lost several million dollars what happened how did that happen and you know what uh, what can the our global uh, you know viewers and listeners learn from that and how can they you know do things proactively or do things differently so that they can you know protect themselves from not uh, falling victim to that yes uh, that's a really good question my story is is very unusual but not unique in that uh, my wife and i started a marketing uh company about 25 years ago. Uh, thank goodness it went very well. After 10 years of being in business, we did a joint venture with the largest marketing company um, in the whole world and things were going just great. Unfortunately, I suffered a near-death injury, so I was out of my own company for a period of about six months. During that time, without me knowing it, a series of key executives, insiders, decided to start their own competitive company while working for me full time. And so I noticed over, you know, a period of months that our sales, you know, were just going down and really they were, they were going straight up uh, as a result of this merger. And one day um, I got a call from the CEO of, of our partner and he was hollering, yelling at me, you know, what the heck is going on with your company? And I was shocked because you know, we had very big, important clients, you know, big global companies like AT&T, Procter & Gamble, uh, General Motors, you know, um, and our reputation was stellar. And so he, I'll never forget, was, was you know, yelling, what, what is going on? And I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what you're referring to. So he then went on to tell me that uh, he got a call, allegedly, from one of my key executives who worked for me saying that there was rampant fraud within my operation. And my jaw almost dropped. I said, what? And he said, I said, who, who called? I mean, we can get to the bottom of it. And he declined to, to mention. So it was kind of like a whistleblower idea. So I called all my staff in, um, explained what had happened. And we, you know, redid all the work we were doing. We did a, a series uh, of audits. And you have to keep in mind, this was 15 years ago, so you, you never heard about hacking on the news. You know, I knew nothing about technology whatsoever, and I had a technology consultant uh, helping with things. Well, it turns out he was the culprit that had been doing what I'm about to tell you. So um, we couldn't find anything wrong. And uh, over time, uh, like layers of an onion, I started noticing some things. The big aha moment for me was when I walked into one of the executives' office and there was an external hard drive attached to his computer, which is not something that we ever used. And I went around to his computer and he was downloading intellectual property and client data. So I said, what are you doing? And he was startled. So I pulled out the, uh, the hard drive and I said, you need to leave now. And I'll never forget and forgive me pointing but he went like this he said you have no idea what hacking is and he laughed i was stunned so uh, it turns out he was right because i had no idea what they had actually done at that time is they they created a duplicate website it's called you know spoofing a website uh, anytime someone called into one of our telephone numbers, it was redirected to their company. Uh, they took our intellectual property and just put their brand on it and went like this. They called our biggest clients saying that we were a fraudulent company. And so all my clients just left. 
And so after a period of years, we realized, you know, a little bit about what had happened. And um, so we had to close the company. I lost several million dollars from that. So, you know, a reasonable question, you know, that uh, I was asked, well, what did you do? Um, is, well, my, my wife and I, uh, just because of how we are as people, we did not want to put bad karma out, you know, into the universe. And we said, okay, it's over. The chapter's closed. You know, we, we started from nothing before. Let's try it again. And uh, it didn't work. And we couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. So after a period of years, I went working on United States uh, veterans issues to help uh, people uh, reintegrate back into civil society. And we moved into children's education and things like that. Well, you know, I really was not able to provide for my family. So um, after 10 years after that, so this is now two years ago, um, I decided to get back into the marketing field that I was well regarded for. I made a couple phone calls and I was welcome back so much so uh, that I was invited to be the master of ceremonies of a, a large industry conference. Uh, it went great. People were coming up, handing me their business cards. And I went, you know, thank you, God. Um, you know, I have a chance to rebuild, you know, my life. The very next day after that conference, not one, but two of the former employees checked out my LinkedIn profile. I could see that they did. And I said, what? It's been, you know, 10 years. And, and they checked out my profile. And the next day, the hack started happening. Boom, 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 boom. You know, files were deleted. Uh, presentations were changed. I, I had a $400,000 proposal to a very large global company. And the last slide of my PowerPoint, you know, would say thank you. But it was changed to, I'll just use the word F you. Um, which is not really a way to try to, you know, get business from a global client. Um, and so I, I told my wife and, and she thought that I was misinterpreting, which is very easy to do. That's one of the challenges in cybersecurity and cybercrime. You know, it's very easy to have false attributions. And it's even harder to get an accurate attribution to, to link the culprit with the crime. So uh, I, I knew nothing about technology at all. I knew nothing about cybersecurity. And I did a deep dive to listen and learn to the smartest people around the world. I read everything that I could get my hands on just to try to understand. And I started noticing something's happening on my system that I wouldn't have known about. So I started using my iPhone, uh, you know, or, you know, my Blackberry, and I just started taking photographs and making videos of different things that were happening because I knew no one would believe me. And one thing led to another. I amassed a very thick book of evidence and I took it to the uh, FBI and uh, we're in process right now. Wow, what an incredible story. So it was an insider, one of your own employee who was sabotaging and who was uh, creating all these uh, events that uh, brought the you know, fall of your company. Exactly. And, and so what I did um, was to, in the comic that I'm, that I'm building right now, I created characters um, that are personified after real life situations. So to, to depict an insider threat, I'm just calling it uh, evil butler and evil maid. And there are these two creatures, um, just like in, in your home, if you were to allow a trusted person into your home, you know, they have the keys to your house. Well, the same thing is true within a business. You know, if you, you have trusted people, they have proximity to your computers, to your physical devices. You know, they can uh, drop a thumb drive, which then, you know, inserts malicious code into a computer system. So, 
you know, one, one of my other big takeaways as I'm saying this out loud is it's a very fine line to being cautious and then crossing over to being paranoia. Yes. You know, and, and you don't want to be paranoid because that's just an unhealthy way to live. On the other hand, uh, you know, I think, you know, based on what's going on in the world, it's, it's a good idea to be, to be cautious. Yes, we do. It's, uh, it's a necessity. It's a survival need to be cautious. Now, let me ask you this. The, the organ company that you had, you said intellectual property was stolen and a lot of proposals and all that. It was a marketing organization or what was the nature of your company's uh, uh, product and services? We did market intelligence, uh, consumer market research um, across a number of uh, verticals like telecommunications, financial services, um, automotive, uh, consumer goods, and things like that. Also, oh, market research, the intelligence, the market intelligence data that was stolen. Yes. Now, may I? I mean, is it okay for you to share whether it was a foreign national or it was someone you know, the domestic? Well, because I, I'm involved with the FBI sure. right now. Um, I understand that. I understand. No, I'm just uh, trying to understand who, was it a nation state behind uh, getting that kind of data? Or no, was no, it? no. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, good question. No, um, it, it, they, what they did was the, the motivation, you know, people would ask, well, why would someone do that? And especially why would someone do it, you know, like, like 10 years later? You know, so the first motivation was purely economic crime. They had set up their own identical company doing the exact same thing that I did while they worked for me full time. And so it was easier for them to steal than to just do what took me 10 years to build. Very, very unfortunate. And I'm really sorry, very truly sorry to hear this horror story that you had to go through. But what is even more troubling is that they still continue. When you restarted, relaunched your company, they still continue to attack. And that is something uh, you will need to figure out. And I'm sure the law enforcement, law enforcement will help you figure out with, why is your company still a target? What is it that you do or what kind of data that you are you know gathering that is still an interest to all these uh, criminals or you know would be criminals and they keep trying hacking you that is something you all will have to collectively figure out because the more sensitive nature of the data that you are creating more intelligence you are creating it, it is certainly of interest to a lot of you know parties and they want to access that kind of data so that is something you will have to figure out that why is your data attracting these criminals well just to to clarify um rather than our information attracting criminals it's just motivating one small group of them so it isn't that my information is value in fact it's not to anyone I see. um so what so it's just my old my former you know employees so what happened was the original motivation you would define as just an economic crime why why the small group of people it's it's four people so just to be clear it's not anyone else um people hack for different reasons and and i've learned a lot about motivation of hackers uh, i i read for example a very interesting survey 
that was done at what's called uh, a DEFCOM in, in Las Vegas, United States this last year. And uh, the security firm interviewed about 100 what they call black hat hackers, which are, you know, sort of uh, the, the bad people. And and also they interviewed the people defender defending them. And the, the reasons that um, they they hack are, are varied. In my case, it pivoted from an economic you know motivation to something more along the lines like revenge. And it, you know some type of psychological you know kind of uh, reason. You know it's it's no longer economic because I'm not in that business anymore. You know I had lost everything. I'm doing Cyberman now. You know I'm I'm this reluctant cybersecurity you know educator, um, and and so. But for the larger you know viewing audience, there's no question um, that uh, they they do it because they can. You know, they a lot of hackers just think it's fun. Oh, I can do it, and I can I can see you through your webcam, or you know, I can get into your credit card. Well, that gets into financial, you know, motivation, and then larger, you know, organized, you know, crime efforts and things like that. Um, nation state sort of hacking is really at the bottom of the list, according to the the survey. Um, that's a very rare occurrence. Let me rephrase that. It's an increasing you know, occurrence, but it involves big intrusions. What I'm really focusing on are regular people. You know, a, a mom who wants to protect her daughter. You know, a, a person who has you know, uh, 100 employees who wants to stay in business. You know, and and things like that. I I, I don't have any credibility or authority to try to talk about larger sorts of intrusions, but there are many, many wonderful experts in the cybersecurity ecosystem that do. Oh, uh, definitely. And uh, believe me that there are a lot of uh, different ways and in different formats that we can provide uh, the resources and uh, expertise that is necessary for everyone to stay safe in cyberspace. And your your story, what you you and your company uh, went through was uh, because of this insider, you know, hacking or insider you're one of your employee doing all these damage to your company and organization but in cyberspace uh, there are so many different criminals that there are out there that are experts in social engineering or manipulating users into performing actions or giving up their confidential informations and not many people understand that everyone uses social media but they don't understand how to what to share what not to share so what what implications do you see and how do you uh, as you prepare these comic books and as you try to educate the individuals as well as you know small organizations to you know prevent themselves from becoming a victim uh, what do you tell them how to effectively prevent this kind of uh, cyber attacks well, it's it's really fantastic that you mentioned the idea of social engineering because that is what happened to me. You know, if you think about it, you know, that they were representing they were someone who they were not. They called clients saying things and representing things that were not true. And, you know, so I one of my characters, um, just to show you how on target you are, is called the social engineer. And I created a puppet like a marionette. So, you know, the the the, the sticks are on the top and and this character is hanging by threads and being manipulated. And that's the social engineer. And I, I, I hope that um, maybe through um, this uh, communication, you're able to insert some of the characters so the audience can see what I'm talking about. Um, because 
coming up with uh, try to sort of uh, personify, you know, a hack is incredibly complicated, um, especially since I have no experience, you know, making a comic book. Um, but um, they 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 uh, came out, you know, quite well. And and so social engineering to me is a hu huge threat for for the larger cybersecurity or the, the larger world, you know, because you don't know who's on the phone. You don't know who's sending you, you know, this email requesting, you know, that you click on this link because we need to update your information. And, and just to take that a step further, you know, you mentioned earlier, think of children, you know, or think of the elderly, you know, older people who you are less uh, sophisticated. How They're just, just um, so vulnerable. So that's our hope that in some small way, by by raising awareness that these things could happen, yes, in a way. Yes. No, you are you are absolutely right about it. And one one fact is that like you you were a victim, you suffered enormous loss. It was a financial loss. You share talked about the financial impact uh, about to your company and to yourself that you had to restart. You had to you know start all over. But there is also another aspect other than the financial impact, and that is the social implications. Now, the, all these victims, they cope, uh, they, it's very difficult for them to cope with the fallout from, is, it's irrespective of whether it's insider, you know, hack or uh, insider creator, you know, uh, trauma or identity theft or sexual abuse or financial ruin. And uh, they're not, not many people understand, or so there is not much awareness about how to cope up with this social impact. And sociologists and psychologists and psychiatrists, I'm not sure if they're ready or if they even have a proper uh, programs to help this kind of victims. So uh, how, how is this social impact of cybercrime uh, can be handled? And what can be done? How did you recover from that, you and your family? That's such a great analysis. Well, um, I, I think the the first thing to do is to humanize the statistics. You know, I think because cybercrime is so uh, prevalent, you know, you you hear about these massive hacks and loss of data. I think people are immune to understanding it. So, you know, one of the reasons that we've taken this approach is to is to make it real, is to is to humanize through this particular story um, what can happen and most importantly what you need to do to protect yourself. And and um, so one of the other interesting things that I learned through through this past year of of jumping into the you know the hacking ecosystem um, is is like in the small to medium business market, that's you know people with uh, companies with less than one thousand people, um, they have what I call the the small to medium business uh, paradox because they think that no cyber criminal is going to come after them because they don't have anything of value, um, which is exactly why cyber criminals go after them, you know. Um, and to your point earlier about like how did with the social impact, how do you recover? Sixty percent of all small to medium business businesses that are that are hacked are out of business within a year. Sixty percent, they're gone. They can't recover. And so in my case, I was one of them. I, I I could not recover. We depleted all of our personal savings to keep the company and our employees going. And so fast forward to today, this moment with you. Um, this is how I'm coping with it, to, to pivot from being a victim and 
to become an advocate to try to bring some sort of larger justice to the world and to have this experience have meaning in that way. Well, that's an excellent way to go forward. That's an excellent way to cope that you, while you became victim, you want to make sure that others are not victimized and you want to help them, you know, stay in a healthy state and you want to make sure that you help them in any way you can. You create education awareness and uh, you make the society much more stronger. And that is probably the larger role maybe you were supposed to take rather than, you know, having that marketing organization that you had. So maybe 10 years from now, you will be able to connect the dots that why you became a victim and why you had to launch the launch this organization. And what was the reason you had to go through this whole journey uh, of becoming a victim? There must be some reason, a bigger, you know, picture that we are not able to see right now. We are just seeing it from the perspective that you became a victim, you lost everything. But there is something bigger that you are destined to do probably. So that's, and you are passionate, you are doing it in the right way that you want to have some constructive effort or because of that uh, victimization that you want to create something bigger than yourself. You want to work towards something bigger than yourself and then that, that's an excellent way to go forward. But if we talk about millions of uh, cybercrime victims, a lot of time, I mean, they, a lot of them lose money. A lot of them, you know, are able to at least restore some stolen money, you know, most of the time. If it's a credit card, you know, was hacked or credit card was stolen and things like that, they, or the bank account, they they are able to recover some money. Uh, but uh, these events, as you, I mean, as you have suffered, that it, you know, it traumatizes people. And a uh, lot of them... A lot of them are so vulnerable that then they lose the trust in the internet and then they delete all their accounts. They don't want to be on the internet. Now, it's very easy, you know, to get traumatized and to make a decision that I don't want to be part of the internet. I'm just going to keep, you know, my life simple, not to, you know, go on the internet, not to have any connectivity, not to have any social media accounts. They isolate themselves. How is that? The, I mean, have do you see that that this, because you can speak, you know, from your personal experience? Do you think that is the right way to go? That you know, you just stop being on the internet, or you educate yourselves and you make yourself more, much smarter and more stronger in terms of you know your uh, surroundings, and you know what you are supposed to do. You educate yourself. That is one approach. And the second is that, is there any help available for victims of cyber crimes to help them go through this trauma? I mean, the social, uh, from my assessment that psychiatrists, psychologists or counselors, they don't have you know, enough programs or you know, any effective program at this point. But is there any other kind of help available for the victims of cyber crimes? Well, I don't know how many hours we're going to stay on this podcast because you just brought up a whole lot of important issues. So I'm just going to go back and then forward with the first thing, and I'll, I'll try to address each of the things you brought up. Um, in terms of like the larger purpose, um, I'm very blessed. I found it. This is it. You know, the adventures of Cyberman. I, I guess, you know, I'm supposed to be uh, an alter ego, you know, sort of a... a a superhero in, in a fun way. So that's my purpose. I know that now because I've been working on this for a long time uh, and I feel at peace. You know, one of the things that this 
process has done. It's been a catharsis for me, you know, and and um, telling this story to you. I mean, it's, I have not talked to a lot of people about this yet um, because we're just in the process of creating the comic. It's not finished. Um, and so I, I think I found my purpose. The second thing I would say to you, a very good insight you brought up, which is 93% that are in the cyber of people that are in the cybersecurity world actually come from technology. Only 7% come from the social sciences or the marketing communications realm. And that makes sense because it's a technology uh, issue, at least at first. Now it's become a communications issue. And so my background, fortunately, really fits very well into communicating very, very complex issues in, into terms that, that people can engage with and enjoy. So uh, now I'm going to go to your question about resources. Uh, there are wonderful, wonderful resources um, and uh, that are available for victims of, of cybercrime. And one of the ways that we're going to spread the word about when, when the comic and, and uh, we're going to have an online platform too, by the way, people will be able to, to buy a single issue of the comic, you know, online for very modest costs of $15. You know, we're putting about $1,000 worth of best practices in it. So I want people to be able to afford it. But there will be another group of people who want to go deeper into it and to actually get trained, you know. Um, and so we're going to have an online forum that, that people can go and take uh, an online course to get deeper and skilled on how to pr protect, uh, protect themselves. Um, and in terms of, of victims' uh, advocacy, um, there, there are a lot of, uh, if you type in the word um, cybercrime victims, you'll see a lot of results of great, you know, worthy organizations um, trying, you know, putting out information. I mean, remember, I, I mentioned to you earlier that the LinkedIn contacts are all these good people. There are millions and millions of great people who want to do the right thing, you know, around the world on this topic, you know, and, and they and they will help you. Um, and, and one of the things that I was, this is really more down the road because, it, you know, uh, this is a complex undertaking I'm in right now, but to inside the comics to have actual links in the electronic version of the PDF to actually have links. So as, uh, as, I'm, as uh, Cyberman is going through these, these adventures, you know, and we're talking about, let's just say phishing, that you can click here and then get, you know, legitimate, uh, deep, deep knowledge about the topic. So that's, you know, we want to make Cyberman a um, kind of a curator of information to, to help people protect themselves online. That's that's really welcoming and that's good to know. Now, uh, we we talk, I mean we have been talking about the impact that happens because of uh, social media to errors and so the impact that happens to businesses. But there is also a large class of you know kids. I mean kids that are impacted by social media, uh, children of all ages, teenagers. They are all impacted in such a uh, cruel way. I mean, cyber bullying happens and uh, all kinds of, you know, crimes happen, which are not actually crimes, but they, they make the kids take, make, take such bad decisions. They lose hope. They sometimes, you know, commit suicide and all uh, such bad things happen to kids on uh, social media. So is there any effort going on to help the kids? that are impacted by these social media crimes? Uh, yes. Um, there are a number of law enforcement initiatives. Uh, one of the first uh, people that believed in my story 
was a guy named uh, Richard Geary, and you can go to his website. It's iroc2.org, and it's called the Institute for Online Cell Phone Responsible Cell Phone and Online Usage. And um, he's developed a whole program for exactly what you're saying, where he and his team go into schools and they educate people on precisely what it is that you're talking about. And referring back for a moment to your larger question, no, there's no getting away from, from the internet whatsoever. Um, uh, no, I only see dependency accelerating and, um, you know, you just, I, I, think, I think there's the, the good of the internet, you know, outweighs the bad by who knows how much, but it's great because it brings, you know, people together in the world and it, it democratizes, you know, information and knowledge. And those are wonderful, extraordinary uh, sorts of things. You just have to be careful about how you do it. Yes, very true. But uh, see, one, uh, uh, since the capability of going live and uh, sharing the video live has happened, a lot of bad things are happening. A lot of good things are happening and a lot of bad things are also happening. Cyberbullying, uh, where personal assaults, you know, for example, rapes, they are, you know, shared online. The live rape, you know, is happening uh, on Facebook. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's Facebook, but I heard that it happened, you know, uh, so I don't want to name Facebook like that, but I heard that it happened live, you know, rapes are happening and then all different kinds of uh, casualty of victims, you know, are ha going through this disgrace and humility, you know, because of the live, uh, somebody is being bitten, you know, on live uh, uh, video and uh, how, how can they overcome this kind of victimization you know how can they overcome this kind of assault when you know we don't have this capability we don't have cyber live police that can stop this kind of crimes happening or shut off the you know video feed we don't have that capability or we the technology companies uh, they don't you know have that at this point they don't like we don't even have that capability in uh, geospace if a crime is happening if the cop is nearby they are able to stop but most of the crimes that are happening we are not able to stop them in real time so there are a lot of things that are happening not only in geospace but in cyberspace that are very very troubling and when it involves these kind of you know little children who are vulnerable who cannot defend themselves how to you know minimize the impact of this kind of assaults on these cyber victims? Well, uh, that's an incredibly important and complex issue that you're bringing up here. I, the only thing I would amend to, to one thing you said is I, I don't think that the technology companies are lacking the capabilities. I think they're lacking the will. And this is something that we see in the United States playing out right now in front of, you know, the American Congress because uh, there have been hearings, you know, regarding uh, events with Russian, alleged, you know, Russian hacking into the U.S. Uh, system and things like that. And so this, the senior people from the major technology companies were brought in to testify. And we are starting to see, you know, some change and uh you know some some more uh, monitoring some more um they hate the word you know censoring uh, for sure because you know the internet is based on the egalitarian uh availability of information you know to everyone you know so they they are going to re they have resisted uh you know being uh 
having to be the role or the gatekeeper of content of which the the sad things that you're talking about are, are a, a type of content. Uh, but at least now, and this is very recent in the last six months, you know, they're being held to task because of some of the things that have happened. And, and so at least in the United States, there uh, are mainstream media is regulated. You know, they, there are some censoring, you know, of, of content. And um, I, I'm not an expert in this field, but if I had to vote on it, I think that the giant social media platforms like those you described uh, do need to be much more proactive about uh, curating uh, and denying access uh, to, to some of the content. Then the question becomes freedom of speech. You know, what, who decides, you know, what, what can and cannot be you know, included. You know, do you do you link it to existing laws in a particular jurisdiction, but the laws in the United States are gonna be different than those in India? Um, you know, and uh, you know, control is antithetical to the basis of the internet. So, but but I'm, I'm referring back to the fact that there are so many great people and there are a lot of great people at the big technology companies that are the platforms that are now starting to look more at a role of, of, of being uh, curators of, of some content. Yes, we have to. And I, I hope that you made a statement that uh, maybe they have the capability, but they don't have a will. And I hope that the technology companies uh, if they have the capability, then they, I, I'm not sure what would prevent them to take a stand against stopping these kind of crimes. Because uh, what good comes out of, you know, showing the live rape or cyber pornography and where kids are involved and all that, what good will come out of that? So I hope that no technology decision maker, you know, would just because of getting, you know, uh, better uh, ratings or uh, getting more uh, members or... Uh, more people live that they would not succumb to these kind of evils and I am sure that they are not going to because no sane technology executive would want to you know achieve anything uh, by going this path this is a, such a you know disturbing way or disturbing things uh, you cannot even imagine uh, if editors cannot you know see how to overcome this kind of trauma and this kind of impact of the cyber crimes uh, for well, I can, tell you, I can tell you the the what what I'm doing about it. So this yes. is just one. Thing. What I'm doing about it is um, I reached out to the chief technology officer of Facebook, who accepted my connection, of Google, of, um, of which includes YouTube, and so I reached out to these folks and am inviting them to help sponsor Cyberman. And this is a, you know, it's, it's self-serving in my sense, I, I acknowledge. Um, but I think Cyberman can be an industry-wide platform to help solve some of these issues that you're bringing up. And by having them take, having these big technology companies taking a proactive stance about keeping people safe online, which they all do, by the way. You know, they, they, all, they, all, they all have, you know, fantastic education and awareness programs for sure this would be just a slightly different way to accomplish the same objective. So, you know, uh, if, um, if any of them uh, see this podcast, please call me. I could use your help. Oh, that, I hope that, you know, they listen, the right decision makers listen. We have many, many, uh, you know, decision makers from all across nations that uh, watch our web, uh, webcast as well as, you know, listen to the podcast. And I, I urge them to 
seriously take a look at uh, these issues that impacts everyone, irrespective of age and irrespective of nationality or race, color, religion. And uh, we want to make sure that cyberspace is safe enough that we can create something uh, wonderful out of cyberspace and that we don't have to go towards uh, a point where uh, people have to seriously think about uh, not going forward on the internet or not uh, being on some website or not being on social media. So we we want we all want to make cyberspace secure and safe for everyone. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners? Well, uh, first, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this story. Um, the second thing I would say is, in a larger sense, um, one of my favorite quotes is, when smart people get together, good things happen. And this has been true with the work that you're doing, and it's certainly been true uh, as of one month ago, when I, you know, just started telling people about this, you know, the adventures of Cyberman. And so if you would like to um, participate in some way, uh, if you have uh, content or perspectives or stories um, or access to people that can help scale Cyberman globally, um, you can just go to my LinkedIn profile, um, you know, Gary Berman um, in Miami, Florida, and uh, just uh, connect and and uh, we'll make some great things happen. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop by saying thank you again. Wonderful, Gary. So thank you so much for participating in this roundup today. And we appreciate your thoughtful insight on the impact of cyber crimes. And we were touched by uh, hearing the story of uh, what you had to go through, what your what you lost, and what you gained. You know, because of uh, exactly. uh, because of what uh, uh, you know impact of uh, the insider cyber crime that you had to go through. So our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from listening to your story and from the understanding you provided on the need for cyber literacy and awareness today and in the coming tomorrow. So even if a single individual benefits from listening to your story and take some measures to protect themselves and understands the impact of cyber crimes and prevent being a victim of cyber crime, uh, this risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful. So the challenges and complexities of evolving cyber criminal threats and its impact has crossed the barriers of space, ideology and politics, demanding a constructive collaborative effort of all stakeholders, individuals as well as entities across nations its government industries, organizations, and academia, risk groups, cybersecurity, geosecurity, and space security risk research centers are created to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIO NCGs, that means nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats, and peace to the management of conflict. Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It's not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup webcast or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, 
please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.